I don't know if you can think back to uh, when you were a child, or maybe if you have kids, you have are kind of familiar with this. Uh, the excitement of a moment like Christmas Day or a birthday or the first time you go to a new place and being so excited that you can hardly sleep. Right? If you're a parent in the room with younger kids, you probably know Christmas Eve, like your kids, like trying to get them to go to sleep is like pulling teeth, right? Because they're so excited because something exciting is on the way and they are unable to sleep because they just can't contain their excitement. And as we get older, uh, things begin to shift. And the truth is this, is that many of us, uh, maybe we struggle with sleeping sometimes too, but it's not for the same reason. It's often not because we're excited, it's often because we're worried, or because we're anxious, or because we have a lot of things on our minds. You, you know the scenario, right? You, you have a problem that, that comes your way, and especially if you're overly analytical and an introvert, much like me, right? You have a problem that comes your way, and you start thinking about that problem, and you start worrying about that problem, and the next thing you know, your peace, your sleep, your rest start to go out the window. And I don't know if you've ever been there, but we're living in moments where there seems to be more and more problems and more and more issues kind of hitting us one after the other. And if we aren't careful, what we fall into is this cycle of we see a problem, we worry to death about it, and then we lose our peace. That, that, that's, what, that's what naturally sort of starts to happen, right? We, we have a problem, we worry ourselves to, uh, to death about it, we lose our peace, we lose our rest, we lose our sleep. And I want to look this evening in Psalm 3. I want to look in Psalm 3. Psalms that you know is the, the hymn book, the song book of, of ancient Israel. And this, these songs, this song book, this prayer book has much to say about this issue. And I want us to look in Psalm 3. We get a, a glimpse into the inner life of David. And we see how he responds to this cycle of a problem a worry and a lack of peace. In Psalm 3, I'm just going to start with the first two verses and then we're going to dive in. Oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for God, for him in God. I want to look at this psalm and I just want to ask this sort of question. How does David respond to this problem of, I see a problem in my life, I'm worried about it, and then I begin to lose my peace. What, what does he do in this situation? So first of all, we notice that this problem has come for David. That's what these first two verses tell us. That there's, notice the use of the word many here. Many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying that God will not save him. It's not just one problem, it's many. He's got a lot of issues, and it's sort of like it's growing. He's emphasizing it because it's growing. Like it started out, and it was kind of maybe a manageable problem, maybe something kind of typical, and then it sort of grew and grew and grew. And now he's saying, many are my foes. Many are the people who are against me. Many are the people who are saying, God is not going to come to his rescue. God's not going to save him. But what is the situation that David finds himself in? I don't know about you, but I love music. That's one of my, my passions. And one of the things I love is a, a good songwriter, someone who can write a good song. But even more than that is discovering why they wrote the song. Well, what's the story behind the song? As a matter of fact, I think there's a TV show out there called The Story Behind the Song. And so I want to just for a couple minutes on this, this first point here, look at the story behind the song. 
That this is a moment in David's life where some stuff is going on. And remembering again that this is a songbook, what is it that David is saying? What's he going through? This psalm is one of 14 psalms we know of where uh, the, the situation in David's life is known. Right? There's a heading at the beginning of this that tells us what's going on. So I want us to look at the story behind this song. If we go to Second uh, Samuel chapter 13 through 19, now we're not going to read all of that. That's a big chunk of scripture. But we get the backstory to what's going on. And many of you may be familiar with the story, but David is king over Israel. And he's not been a perfect king at all. He's done some things he should not have done. He's, uh, this is after his episode with Bathsheba. He's sinned. He's done some things. But he's still on the throne, and he's still, uh, for all uh, intents and purposes, he's still a good king. He's still God's man on the throne. And he, he comes across uh, some problems. He's king, and, and here's where we get this story in his life where there's a lot of family drama. How many of your families, you could say, my family's got some drama Yes, right? Amen, right? So David's got some family drama going on, the likes of which would make a great TV show. So here, here's, the, here's the, the, the story behind this song. He's got a, a, a son by the name of Absalom. And Absalom has a sister by the name of Tamar. And they have a stepbrother by the name of Abnon. And Abnon falls in love with Tamar. I know, again, this is weird, but this is what was happening. He falls in love with her, and he decides that he wants to be with her. So we've got Absalom and his sister, and we have a stepbrother, and the stepbrother likes the sister, and he wants to be with her. And so he decides he's going to take matter into his own hands, and he's going to rape her. And you can read all about this story. Again, I know this is weird and a lot of drama going on, but this is what happens. And David hears about what happens, but he doesn't do anything about it. As a matter of fact, in 2 Samuel chapter 13, beginning at verse 21, when David heard of all these things, he was very angry. But we don't get where he responds other than just he's, just, he's just mad. And he goes on to tell us, But Absalom spoke to Abnon, neither good or bad, for Absalom hated Abnon because he violated his sister Tamar. So we get David is angry, uh, Absalom is angry because this guy messed with his sister, and Absalom is a planner, Right? So that we, we, he waits two years, and he lets his anger stew, and he lets his anger at this, his brother stew, and he lets his anger at his father, who's done nothing to stop the problem or deal with the issue, he lets it begin to stew, and he sits on it, and he waits two years, and then what he does with this is he devises a plan that he's going to kill his, his stepbrother. He's going he's to kill him. He's going to take care of him. And he goes in and he kills his stepbrother, murders him in cold blood because he messed with his sister. And then he takes off running because he, he killed this guy, so he's got to be a, a fugitive. And so now he, he runs. And, and, and all of this, you can imagine, is calling a, causing a rift in the relationship between Absalom and between his father, David. Absalom is furious that his father did nothing, and he sees him probably as an incompetent leader. Hey, why didn't you, this was wrong. Why didn't you do something about this? Why didn't you step in and do something to fix this? Why did I have to fix this problem for you? And he runs away, and David has now lost two sons, one by murder and one by estrangement. And the family drama continues to deepen as David eventually decides to bring Absalom back. But as you can imagine, their relationship is never the same. It's ruined. It's broken. It's fractured. So we have all this family dysfunction going on between this father and this son and this relationships that is messed up and ruined. And 
To recap, we have an angry son and a father who are estranged from one another. What el- how, how else could it go wrong? Like, what else could go wrong? I know you're probably like, this is, this is good, like, TV stuff, right? This is what, what people pay to watch on Netflix for some reason or whatever. I don't know. But, like, like th- what else could go wrong? And the plot sort of thickens. Is that Absalom, through the course of this estrangement with his father, begins to really see his father as just incompetent, no good. He's just a horrible leader, horrible father. And he makes the decision again. He plans, he waits, and the texts tell us after two years. He likes to tell us. He waits two years again. And he plans and he conceives this plan that, man, I'm going to try to take the kingdom from my dad. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go for it. And so in 2 Samuel 14, verse 25, Now in all Israel there was no one much, so much to be praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head there was no blemish in him. This is, not a, this is a good-looking guy, is what it tells us. And what he does is he decides he's going to go down and he's going to stand outside the gate at Jerusalem. And as people are coming in to present their problems to his father, he's going to kind of like catch them and say, hey, you know, the king's up there and, and I know maybe you spoke to him, but wouldn't it, be good? wouldn't it be great if there was like somebody who really cared about you? Wouldn't it be great if there was someone who really listened to you? Well, guess what? Like, I'm, I'm your guy. And I'm here for you, and if you need anything. And he starts to do this over time. In 2 Samuel chapter 15, we see this. After this, Absalom got himself a chariot and horses and 50 men to run before him. And he would rise early and stand beside the way of the gate. And when a man had a dispute to come before the king for judgment, he would call him and say, From what city are you? And he said, Your servant is from such and such a tribe in Israel. And Absalom would say, Hey, your claims are good and they're right. But there's nobody that'll listen to you. There's no king to hear you. And Absalom would say, Oh, man, if only I were the judge in the land. And then every man with a dispute or a cause might come to me, and I would give him justice. And whenever a man came near to pay homage to him, he would put out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. Thus Absalom did to all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. So he stole the hearts of the men of Israel. This guy is a schemer. He's come and he's begun to manipulate people and he begins to undermine his father's authority. And all the while he starts, continues to make coalitions and put things together. And eventually it began, he begins to overthrow his father. He gains enough power and influence. We see in 2 Samuel chapter 15 verse 13, a messenger came to David saying, the hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. Then David said to all his servants who were with him, Arise and let us flee, or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Go quickly, lest he overtake us quickly and bring ruin down on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servant said to the king, Behold, your servants are ready to do whatever my lord decides. So the king, this is David, went out and all his household with him, and the king left ten concubines to keep the house. So his son, Absalom, has successfully overthrown his father, David. And David is now on the run. And I know there's a lot there to digest. I encourage you to go home and read it, but that's just a brief synopsis. Because we have this family dysfunction because of a son who's angry with his father for not intervening in a situation. And that builds up over time, and he begins to manipulate and scheme, and he brings himself to the point where he's able to overthrow his father and take the kingdom. And it is in this context that David writes this song. O Lord... How many are my foes? Look at the many people who are rising against me. 
And as he's leaving out of Jerusalem, there comes people that are throwing rocks at him, cursing him, saying, God's not going to save you. And he pins the words, oh God, many are saying of me, God's not going to come and save you. He's hit a point where he doesn't know what to do. He has no recourse but to run. And you can read the rest of this story later, but this is the context in which David writes this psalm. Problem after problem after problem after problem. And, it's in, and he's running scared for his very life. God, where are you? God, there's so many people around me. There's so many problems. There's so many foes. There's so many rising up against me. And you know, maybe you feel that way because like it or not, we live in a broken world and problems are going to come for you and they're going to come for me. That, that maybe you've had a moment where it's a financial problem or maybe it's a health problem or maybe a relational problem or a family problem or maybe it's a bunch of problems that sort of pile on and stack onto each other and you're uncertain of what to do, that you can echo the words of David, Lo, Lord, how many are my foes? How many have risen up against me? How many are saying, listen, where's God? Is he God really going to save you? Maybe that's your story this evening. I, I remember uh, 20 years ago, coming up soon, right? 9-11. And I remember sitting... Uh, I was uh, just about to turn 17 years old. I remember sitting in my uh, living room, eating my cereal for the morning, right? And my mom always watched Good Morning America. And so we're watching Good Morning America and eating my, my cereal. I don't remember what I was eating, but um, we're watching. And you, you remember, like, right in the background is they're, like, reporting and doing their normal kind of thing. Like, this little image just kind of, like, and then the, the tower just kind of, like, explodes. And wow, like, how our world changed in that one moment. But the other night I was watching a, a documentary on it, and uh, in the documentary, President Bush is interviewed, and he says this, that the first plane was an accident, the second plane was an attack, and the third act was a declaration of war. And I thought that was interesting, because listen, as we kind of watched that, if you remember, as we were sort of watching that, we didn't quite know what was happening the first time. We just thought, oh, it just, it's like maybe something happened, and the pilot just like misunderstood or went the wrong direction or what we don't know what happened maybe something's just gone crazy and maybe it was an accident but then it's like then we got another one and then another one and then another one and then then all of a sudden we realize like this is this is all sort of compounding on top of each other and I say all that to say this is that sometimes in our lives it can feel that way right like like bam we get hit the first time and we're kind of like oh, oh okay like we could kind of shake and then it's like boom and then boom and then boom and one right after another it just feels like man another problem and here's another one and here's another one and before we can sort of shake ourselves and get up and figure out how to take care of the issue there here comes another one I, w I wonder if Job didn't feel that way right as he's as he's uh, standing there getting the report about, here's what happened to your kids, and oh, by, here's what happened to your livestock, and oh, by the way, here's what happened to this, and on and on and on it goes in his life, and sometimes life can be that way for us. Man, many are our problems. Like, we're trying to fix the problem in front of us, and all of a sudden, we've got 14 more we never saw coming. And, and, and it's the reality that we live in is this world that is broken, and in life, we can feel like one attack after another attack, and it leaves you wondering this, Lord, when is it all going to end? Yeah. Something else I, I was struck as I was watching this documentary is they were saying, like, we kept, they kept flying the president around the country because they wouldn't take him back to Washington because he wanted to go. Like, he was telling them, you're taking me back to Washington. And they're like, sir, 
Like, we're in charge of this plane, and respectfully, like, you're not going back. Because they didn't know when it was going to end. They didn't know if there would be another attack, and sometimes we feel that way. Like, God, when is it going to end? We don't know, like, what, what else is coming? When's the next hammer going to drop? That's the way that we feel. And if we aren't careful, what happens is this, is that we let those problems worry us, and then we begin to lose our peace, we begin to lose our sleep, and we start this cycle of problem, worry, loss of peace. But here's the question. What, what does God's Word have to say about that, and what does David do about that? Well, David, rather than allowing that cycle to sort of continue, he puts something in the middle of it that breaks the cycle. And that's what we have to do. If you want to break the cycle, you've got to inject something into the middle of it. You've got to put something in the middle there that breaks the cycle. And what is it he does if we keep reading in verse 3? Many are my foes. This is what he says. But then he, verse 3, he says this, But you, O Lord, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept, and I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around me. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. What does he do instead of worrying? He injects prayer. He injects worship into that cycle, and it begins to break the cycle. I love verse 3. He says this, But oh, you, O Lord, Lord, many are my foes, but you, O Lord. Many are rising up against me, but you, O Lord. Many are saying, there is no hope. God's not going to save you, but you, O Lord. And he reminds himself of who God is. He says God is his shield. God is his glory. God is the lifter of his head. Why is all of this important? Well, in Psalm, chapter, in Psalm 2, verse 6, we get this statement that the Lord places the king in Zion. And God had placed David on the throne. But David was now not where God had placed him. He, he has moved away from the throne. He's moved away from Jerusalem. He's used to being in Jerusalem, set there by God. He's used to having all the power and the security and the comfort that come from being king. But he's not in Jerusalem anymore. That's, like that, that's not his reality any longer. His life is in a spiral. It's out of control. And why, rather than worrying about that, he remembers this, that God is his shield, not his army. This is a man who had an army, but he doesn't say, my army is my shield. He says, God is my shield. When, he, when he's forced from the place of his comfort and where he has everything that he sort of needs and he's forced out of that, the only thing he's got left is to say, man, God is my shield. And, I, you know, I think he can say that because he knew that even when he's surrounded by all these men and all these armies that he still knew, man, God is my shield. Like, the, the, these people aren't, they're, they're not it. Like, God is my shield. God is his glory, not his crown, not his throne, not any of the power that comes with it, because all of that is gone. And he says God is his glory. And he says God is the lifter of his head. Listen, God was the only one who could now lift him up. Like, he's, he's not where he's used to being. And listen, there are moments in life where problems force you from where you're used to being. From the comfort, from the privilege, from the, the stuff that you're used to. 
But even in those moments, God is with you, and He is your shield, and He is your glory, and He is the lifter of your head. That God is still faithful, even like God had been the one who promised David, He was, God gave David the throne. That, that that's where David should have been. And David knows that. But even when he's not where he thinks he should be, and God, this is where you put me. God, you're the one who put me here. But he knows that even when he's not in the place he, he feels like he's supposed to be, that God is still with him. And then we got to remember, there are moments in life where that problems and situations are going to, like you're on the run far from where you think you should be. Like, God, this is not what I signed up for. I love, I love the prophet Jeremiah. God, you deceived me. God, this is, this is not what you said. God, this was not part of the deal. Like, this was not on the agenda. Like, the tour guide, like, lied. Like, the, the pamphlet didn't show this. I did not sign up for this. And there are moments where we go, God, I didn't, like, I did not sign up for this. I didn't sign up to be on the run. Like, be the king? Yeah, like, you gave me the throne. That's where we're supposed to be. I didn't sign up for this, God. But even in those moments where you feel like, man, what are you doing? God, where are you at? Man, God is still present. He's still with you. And I think sometimes God pushes us out of our comfort zone to remind us that He alone is our shield. And He alone is our glory. And He alone is the lifter of our head. He's running from Jerusalem. He's not in the place He knows God has called Him and God placed Him, yet God is still with Him. God is still with Him. Then He goes on to say, I called to the Lord and the Lord heard me. Man, isn't it good to know when we need God, He hears, He answers. And it's not about your situation and it's not about how you feel. It is a reality. God hears when His people pray. Period. What, like whether you feel it, whether you got a goosebump, or your situation changed or it didn't, God hears when His people pray. Period. Like, that's it. And we need to know that we can call to the Lord. And what happens as David begins to do this is his faith begins to grow. That he begins to remind himself who God is and, and what God is doing. He begins to remember where he's placed his hope and his trust. And notice again the use of the word many. At the beginning he says, God, many are my foes. Many are those who are against me. Many are those who are saying, God, you're not going to save me. And now he, he changes his tune and he says, it doesn't matter if many thousands come against me. It doesn't matter if many thousands come after me. Lord, you are the one who's with me. Lord, you're the one who's going to save. Lord, you're the one who's going to deliver. And I, I, love, I love his emphasis on that word. God, there's many surrounding me. But now, God, now that I know you're with me, many thousand. Bring them on. Let them come. And, and he's not saying that in an arrogant way. That's me kind of reading into that. But he's saying, God, many thousands may come, but Lord, you're, you're with me. God, you're, God, whatever happens, if, if more come, God, whatever happens, God, you're with me. God, you're with me. And we need to remember that God is with them. And then what happens as, his, as he begins to put prayer into that cycle, and he begins to remind himself of who God is, his faith begins to grow, and then what happens? The peace begins to come. The peace begins to come. Because of their, their close parallel psalms, Psalm 3 and Psalms 4, they're often read together. And it's been suggested that Psalms 3 is a morning psalm and Psalms 4 is an evening psalm. Why? Both of them have a reference to sleep. In Psalm 3, 5, it says this, I lay down and I slept and I woke again, for the Lord 
sustained me. And Psalm chapter, Psalm 4 and verse 8 says this, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. What, what's David saying? No matter where I am, no matter what I'm going through, God is with me, and I can get a good night's sleep because he's the one who's in control. I can get a good night's sleep because he's the one who's in control. He can get rest because it's God who sustains him, God who hears him, and God who delivers him. And listen, when the problem comes for you and for me, we can, we can allow ourselves to be overtaken by the cycle. Problem, worry, lose our peace. But instead of doing that, when we get the problem, interject prayer, interject worship, interject a reminder of who God is, and let the peace of God begin to come. I, I want to encourage you this week. Listen, the Bible never says to deny your problems. I would encourage you, if you don't journal, maybe, maybe it's a good exercise to start, I don't know. Um, go write your problems down. I know most of you are like, write your blessings down. No, go write them out. God, this is what I'm facing. Boom, boom, boom. Write them down. Put them out. Like God knows anyway, and you know, and you got them in your head, so just get them on paper. Like, okay. Write them down, and then begin to pray the psalm, but you, O oh Lord. God, I got this financial problem, but you, O oh Lord. God, I've got this sickness, but you, O oh Lord. God, I've got this family issue. I've got this prodigal, but you, O oh Lord. And begin to declare this psalm over yourself. Lord, my, you, you may say, Lord, my situation doesn't seem fair. It seems far from what you promised, but you, O oh Lord. Lord, I'm hurting and life feels out of control, but you, O oh Lord. Lord, I don't understand what you're doing and what I'm going through, but you, O oh Lord. And as we begin to remind ourselves of this, faith begins to grow and peace begins to grow. And the Apostle Paul puts it this way, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Verse 7, And the peace of God which surpasses all understandings, will guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. I want to tell you, you can, you can go get a good night's sleep tonight because it is the Lord who sustains you, the Lord who, who saves you, the Lord who hears you, that God is with you, that your problems are maybe big, but you, O oh Lord. We have a big God who wants to give you peace and He wants to give you rest. And it is a peace and rest that is supernatural. I, I love uh, Psalm 23 when it talks about even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God is with us, that He prepares this table before us, even in the presence of our enemies, that, that He provides this rest for us. Man, God is good and wants to give us rest, and He wants to give us sleep, and He wants to give us peace. And it's so easy in the middle of all the stuff that's going on to be robbed of that and to allow the enemy to take that from you. But the Lord wants to give that to you. That the, one of the things Jesus says is this, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives. And it's not some sort of everything's great on the outside, so I've got peace. It's everything's falling apart on the outside, but man, on the inside, I am I'm safe and secure. I, I, know, I know that I'm okay and I can lay my head down at night and I can know that everything's going to be okay because I'm not the one on the throne. God is on the throne. You, you see, Dave, David was no longer the one on the throne, but when he wasn't the one on the throne, he better know who is really on the throne. And listen, you're not in control of your life. Whether you, might, you might think that you are, but listen, you're not. Control is a really quite the illusion, right? You control a lot less than you think. Like, 
have kids and you'll start to understand that. Like, you, you, you're controlled a lot less than you think, right? But, but God is the one in control and you know the one in control and he wants to give you peace. He wants